Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. It's October 28th, 1959, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. When the Great and General Court of the Massachusetts Bay Colony opened a meeting on September the 8th, 1636, and then adjourned it until today in history of the same year, they could have had no idea the havoc they would unleash on Harvard University and its origin story, not to mention <laughs> on this day in history podcasters in the years to come. And that's because this fateful week's delayed meeting had come together to discuss the appropriation of £400 towards a school or college, which they ultimately passed, thus beginning the life of the oldest institution of higher learning in the US. Yes, although there were many other matters uh, up for discussion today in history at the Great and General Court of Boston. Uh, The Marshall's (laughs) stipend was raised. John Sanford was chosen cannoneer for Boston and surveyor of arms and munitions. Uh, Lovell's (laughs) Island was granted to Charleston, uh, provided they employ it for fishing. And the sale of lace for garments accepting binding or small edging laces was forbidden. So lots of important work. Um, And then then at the end, they were like, oh, yeah, we should should have some sort of college as well. (laughs) (laughs) And specifically a clerical college. They were looking at this very much in the light of this is a way to generate new reverence for this flourishing colony. There were now 17,000 Puritans who had been flocking to Massachusetts since the start of the decade. And at the time, Massachusetts was a theocracy. You had to be a church Mm. member to vote or to be eligible for office, such as the court that was meeting on this day. So it was really important to have this strong clerical class. The court actually said in the minutes of the meeting that a college would, quote, advance learning and perpetuate it to posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches when our present ministers shall lie in the dust. And that is actually carved in stone, by the way, outside the entrance to Harvard still, that quote. Hmm. So th- th- this this motivating driving force behind the creation of the college was very, very clear. You know, it, it was only seven years after the Puritans had landed and started building things. They, they knew they needed some pillar of learning because they wanted to preserve their religious ideas and they needed native educated preachers to do that. There was some dispute about where the university should go. And in 1637, the court directed that the college should be located at Newtown and added that Newtown shall henceforth be called Cambridge, I guess, because they knew what they were trying to emulate. Although when the first students arrived in 1638, it definitely did not look like a grand Ivy League campus as it does (laughs) now. It certainly didn't. It was just (laughs) a wooden farmhouse surrounded by cow pastures. And their experience (laughs) was... 
pretty much I mean this was actually I think from what I know anyway that this was actually very common in Europe as well that university especially because a lot of people went to university much younger than they do now but a university was run almost like a boarding school but this one sounds like a particularly grim and strict boarding school the students oh, yeah. routine was really tightly governed it began at 7am when students had to appear in their tutor's room for prayers and then they had to be there again at five o'clock and in between they're expected to be analyzing scripture that then they would discuss with their tutors to be fair that sounds like training to be a priest i mean that is well, what i would expect from a divinity school <laughs> <laughs> yes except that it was being run by a chap called nathaniel eaton and he was 27 years old when he arrived he was actually a college dropout from trinity in cambridge uh, but he subsequently went over and studied at the dutch university of franica with william ames who was the puritan's most revered theologian so he came with these really like high-end uh, qualifications and credentials but he was a terrible teacher he routinely whipped his charges apparently and what's even worse his wife failed to provide them with adequate beef and beer which you know <laughs> as a university student must be the most horrible thing <laughs> well she was also accused of serving them a hasty pudding laced with goat dung she denied this but she did admit serving Ugh. them spoiled fish and bread made with sour meal so on the whole it was not a great university experience and the students did complain nobody really cared that Nathaniel Eaton was beating them because that was par for the course in lots of institutions at the time however when he beat his assistant almost to the point of death mm. that did raise some eyebrows even in the rough and tumble world of the, of the new colonies and so he was removed the school closed the remainder of that academic year and then finally under a the much less deranged master Henry Dunster who nonetheless publicly thrashed two of the students when they were accused of insulting the townsfolk but that was obviously considered an improvement on beating people to the point of death eventually <laughs> that inaugural class of nine students received their diplomas in 1642 at Harvard's first graduation ceremony but not before it had got its new name because amid all of this chaos a chap called John Harvard had begun to take an interest in this new college and he is thought to have crossed over on the same ship as Eton apparently and definitely visited the new college in its sort of these fledgling terrible days of everyone being beaten half to death. Um, but when he died, uh, sadly, of consumption shortly after the college opened, he bequeathed half of his estate and his entire library, and the general court was so grateful that they ordered that the college should henceforth be known as Harvard College. Which is fascinating, isn't it, when you think about the relationship that American universities still have with benefactors and financial institutions, yeah. as opposed to their European counterparts, who have always had an uneasy relationship with sort of, you know, putting the names of people on libraries if they weren't actually academically qualified. So he was a great bibliophile. He had 400 books that he donated to the university on his death. And that was the sort of foundation of the Harvard University Library. So he was certainly learned. But here is, at the earliest possible moment in American history, you know, the American university establishment demonstrating that they are available to be bought. John mm. Harvard is thought of even by some students at Harvard still, probably, as the founder of Harvard University. It even says that on his statue. Whereas he wasn't the founder, he was the first benefactor. And so he gets the whole bloody thing named after him because he gave them some money. Well, to mm. be fair, he was a big benefactor. He gave them £780. And considering that the court had allotted only £400 for the entire <laughs> creation of Harvard, yeah. it, well, that wasn't bad. And an interest in the Queen's Head Inn on Borough High Street, which was the family pub. Really? Is yeah. there still some kind of deal? Can they get like two Jägermeisters for the price of one? If <laughs> I looked on Google Maps, it's a law firm these days. But uh, maybe, maybe uh. they do law services for Harvard. That would be cool. 
Meanwhile, Dunster had got things back on track. He established this three-year course that was loosely modelled on the Oxford and Cambridge uh, courses. And the majority of the components were philosophy, logic, ethics and politics. You also had to speak Latin to go there because it was the language of instruction and communication. You don't need to explain why, Arian. Of course, any gentleman should speak Latin. (laughs) That was actually the only admission requirement of the time. I mean, the pool of potential students at this stage was still quite small. Yeah. Yeah, but they, there was one Did they come here on a boat? Are they white? <laughs> Do in they speak Newcomb. Latin? Yeah. Yes, that was the only requirement. It said that scholars should be able to understand Tully, which is what they were calling Cicero at the time for some reason, or such like classical Latin author and make and speak true Latin verse and prose and decline perfectly the paradigms of nouns and verbs in the Greek tongue. So you could learn Hebrew on the fly. Yeah. Well, you, you would have had to have learned Hebrew because that was a component of the graduation ceremony, which I have to say, this first graduation does not sound like a super fun day. It opened with Latin and Greek array and then some Hebrew grammatical analysis of Bible passages, then, thank God, lunch, and then afterwards, graduates being examined in Latin again. (laughs) It's amazing because it was meant to be this big, impressive ceremony at which the governor, magistrates, ministers, and pretty much anyone who had any sort of education had turned up. But then you had to go through this kind of horrible, long, everyone being examined in how well they knew their Latin and their Greek. (laughs) I suppose that is the link still, is it, with kind of Greek writing and stuff on frat houses and in, you know, traditional university insignia in America. It goes all the way back to this insistence of of knowing Greek. Well, a few things that you weren't expected to know were anything about history, botany, physics, astronomy, or geometry, because those things were covered off in a single term. Worldly studies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just, let's just knock over everything else in the complete body of human knowledge. You were encouraged to study natural sciences because that was considered God's handiwork and therefore highly worth studying as part of a puritanical interpretation of the world. So they were open to knowledge. It's just that the focus all had to be through the prism of religion. Yeah, that's right. This was effectively an arts degree. On top of which, if you wanted to become clergy, you had to go back and do some sort of theological uh, masters. But that course wasn't actually offered by this early period of Harvard. So they were building the foundation for people to, to enter the clergy, but you couldn't actually do it just from this degree alone. And so much of what they learned seemed to be about demeanour. I mean, I know this accusation is still thrown at art students these days, but I found this, for example, from Benjamin Franklin, no less, writing in 1722. Harvardians, quote, learn little more than how to carry themselves handsomely and enter a room genteelly, which might as well be acquired at a dancing school. (laughs) And after they graduate, he said, after causing their parents much trouble and expense, quote, as great blockheads as ever, only more proud and self-conceited. (laughs) Yeah, well, they were banned from doing lots of things that we would consider crucial to the university experience. Drinking, smoking, going to taverns or fairs, going to other towns, hanging out with people who led a dissolute life, leaving college after 9pm or being up past 11pm. Literally Mm. a list of things I went to university to do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.